In today's episode, I give a case to undergrad junior Abby Jin. Abby did an amazing job on this BCG case that was focused on the Pakistani car market. Specifically, she did an amazing job opening the case, building my confidence, coming up with a comprehensive structure, although maybe too comprehensive, as we'll see later in the feedback, and then finally walking through the math like a whiz. Abby did an amazing job with this case, giving a really good idea of what a great BCG performance would look like. And the feedback included in the discussion at the end were also enlightening. Welcome again to this uh, case interview walkthrough. Today's case is a BCG case, and I'm going to introduce our special guest. Abby Jin is a junior. She is going through the recruiting process for the first time, and she's done a good number of cases, but I'm going to let her give a bit of her background, what she's studying, what she's done for cases so far, and what she's looking forward to in the case today. Welcome, Abby. Hi, everybody. Thanks, Jenny Ray, for the for the welcome. As Jenny Ray mentioned, my name is Abby. I'm a junior at UC San Diego, uh, which is where I am now. I'm studying business and accounting, so pretty standard disciplines, um, and have done about 33 live cases so far. So if I know any of you on the call, hi. <laughs> um, hopefully I, I don't disappoint, uh, but really happy to be here and excited to do this case. Hopefully this is a good learning experience for me and for everybody here. Um, so excited to be here. Awesome. Abby, we're so excited to have you. Uh, do you have any questions before we dive into the case today? Uh, no questions. Okay. Well, let me just tell you what I've got planned. We have today a BCG case. We're going to do it round one focused. So I'm going to give you a maximum of 30 minutes to complete the case. We're going to target a separate section for creative, but the math is actually kind of hard to time through. So I'm going to time your opening, your structuring, the beginning and the end part of the case uh, and any creative questions that we end up diving into. But because of the natural back and forth inside BCG, I'm not going to be able to give you anything except for a big bulk time for what happens inside the middle of the case. During the case, my job is to guide you to the end of it, but I'm not going to give you feedback. After the case, I'll give you some detailed feedback about what should happen in each one of the sections where you did really well and where I think there's room for improvement. So if you're ready, we'll go ahead and get started. Good. Okay, ready when you are. Game on, amazing. So our client today is a German luxury car maker. The luxury car maker wants to grow its business and is looking into selling cars in Pakistan. The GDP growth in Pakistan is 6% per year. There are over 200 million people in Pakistan, but the luxury goods market is quite limited. In fact, currently there's only one luxury car sold in Pakistan, which is the BMW. The cars are sold direct. There are no dealerships that carry BMWs. So each one is special ordered from Germany and brought into the country individually. For the purposes of this case, the luxury car market does not include resold cars, only new cars. Our CEO wants to find out if the company can break even in two years if it enters the market. What would you look at to help the CEO make a decision on this question? Great. So this is very interesting. Um, I'm not a car person, so we'll have to be asking a lot of questions here. Uh, but the first thing I want to do is just really quickly recap the case, make sure I have all of the facts. And then from there, I think clarify some gaps in my understanding. So our client is a German luxury car maker. Um, they currently sell cars uh, all over the world, but they're looking to enter the Pakistan market. Uh, a little bit about Pakistan, they are their GDP is growing at about 6%. They have a little over 200 million people um, and they have a limited luxury goods market with only one luxury car, the BMW that's currently residing there. Interesting fact about the Pakistan car market, uh, the cars are sold directly, so no dealerships. Um, they just purchase directly from the original car uh, manufacturer. Uh, so, you know, my intuition tells me there that that could be something that we need to explore uh, if we were to look into entering this market. Um, we're looking specifically to break even in two years if we enter, uh, and that's the objective that I have written down here. Is there anything that I missed or did that pretty much summarize the facts of the case? I think case? you got everything that I needed you to have at this point. And um, I'm really excited to dive into the case now. Sounds good. Um, and just one quick clarifying question. Is yeah. the only objective to break even within two years? Uh, or is there anything else we should consider in terms what of do you? Goals? What else do you think that we should be thinking about here? 
Yeah, I think uh, one of the biggest things that stands out to me is just the distribution channels. So I'm looking at maybe we need to explore alternatives uh, or not not alternatives, sorry, options to establish maybe some dealerships or look at ways in which uh, we currently sell cars to the end consumer. Um, I know dealerships are pretty popular everywhere in the world, especially in the U.S., but I'm not too familiar with uh, how a car manufacturer would be able to sell directly to the consumer in a Pakistan country. Uh, so would love to learn a little bit more about that once I lay out my thoughts. That seems to make sense. Um, question, at what point do you think it would make sense to have a dealership established or what metrics would you look for in order to include a dealership? Mm. Yeah, so I know that for a dealership, we can consider that like an investment. So we need to look at the, the cash flows from that investment, the revenue we expect to get, as well as any costs of establishing a dealership there. Uh, if we have no previous experience um, in the Pakistan market, we don't have that cultural uh, kind of ability to navigate that business environment. So uh, we need to do a lot more due diligence into what kind of Pakistan customers would want our cars, um, given that the given the limited size of the luxury market. And then on the cost side, we need to figure out uh, what some fixed cost of investment would be. Um, and then from there, kind of establish whether or not it would look good from a financial standpoint, from okay. a financial standpoint. Uh, I, I think hold on to that thought and, we, um, and make sure that you include it in your structure because it would be something worth exploring what what you think um, the kind of, you know, metrics and details around that would be. Not the primary question, but but I think including it would be worthwhile. Okay, sounds great. Good. Did you have any other questions? Mm. I think that covers everything that I need to ask right now. Um, so what I'm going to do is take a few minute, moments and lay out my structure, if that's okay with you. Okay, sounds good. If you're thinking about breaking into consulting, Management Consulted has developed the world's best interview prep program, Black Belt. It gives you eight sessions with an expert coach, as well as tons of amazing digital resources. And the focus is tailored to your performance, not anyone else's, just yours, to help make sure that you have the best chance of success you can possibly have. Check it out, managementconsulted.com. I think I have here uh, a pretty basic three-part structure that I'd like to use to tackle this problem. Um, and we're looking specifically, as you mentioned, to break even in two years if we're looking at entry. So what I've done is I've divided my analysis into three major buckets. The first bucket is looking at whether or not this market is standalone attractive, looking at the Pakistani luxury car market. The second bucket I'd like to look into is whether or not our company is a good fit for this market. Um, and then the third bucket is looking at the how. So that's uh, where I would look into either organic or inorganic growth as the best strategy to penetrate this market. If we jump into that first bucket that I mentioned, is the market attractive on its own? I'd like to take a look at three things in that bucket. First, the industry. Second, the products in the industry. And then third, uh, customers. So if we jump into industry, uh, I want to take a look at the size and growth of the industry as a whole. So we're looking at the, the luxury car market in Pakistan. And I'd also like to understand the profitability of this industry, where it's expected to go within the next three to five years, uh, specifically, I guess, within the context of our clients uh, within that two year time period. Um, and from there, we can kind of begin to gauge how much market share we could capture uh, and then uh, maybe potentially whether or not a break even point would be feasible. Uh, if we look into the products, uh, the second branch of that first bucket, um, I'd like to understand what types of cars that are typically sold in Pakistan. I know different cars have different functionality. Um, so in the luxury market, uh, do car makers typically sell the cars themselves or do they sell other products as well that we could profit from? And then finally, I'd like to take a look at the typical customers. I'm assuming they're very high income, uh, but I'd want to take a look more at what specifically that looks like and how those segments of customers are expected to grow so we can properly tailor um, any market entry strategy to that uh, profile of customers. If we jump into the second bucket, whether or not we're a good fit for this market, I'd like to take a look at three things within this bucket as well. Uh, first, the company capabilities, uh, second, the customers, and finally, our sales and marketing capabilities. So uh, I guess first in company capabilities, we're looking at distribution channels, um, any cash we have available for investment, and the strength of our brand. Uh, and actually, on second thought, I'm going to group the sales and marketing capabilities within that first branch. And then the second branch is looking at our specific customers um, and what type of customer we typically cater our products to to see if there's a match with that uh, this Pakistan luxury car market. And then finally, in that third bucket, I'd like to take a look at uh, alternatives and risks of those alternatives uh, or 
specifically a market entry strategy. So I'm thinking whether uh, we sell directly to the consumer or uh, set up a medium uh, to sell, you know, either that's whether that's a dealership or a joint venture to sell through uh, with a partnership uh, with another entity already existing there. Uh, and then any return on investment and uh, costs and profit that we need to take into consideration uh, within that specific branch. With that being said, I uh, would love to start off by understanding a little bit more about the standalone attractiveness of the, the Pakistan luxury car market. Do we have any information on the size of this industry and how fast it's growing? I know you mentioned that we have a GDP growth of 6%, so my assumption is that we're going to be growing at a little bit faster than that. Um, this is a high potential market. Yeah, what? When you're thinking about the size of the market, how are you thinking about actually measuring that, Abby? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so if we're looking at the size of the market in terms of number of luxury cars uh, purchased per year, um, I would probably start off with a population and then I'd split that up into segments of, of population by income. Um, typically only the top maybe 10, 5 to 10% of the population are going to be able to afford luxury cars. Uh, I don't know what specifically this car maker is as far as our client goes, but um, that's what I would assume, about 5 to 10%. And then from there, kind of taking a look at what cars they currently drive, um, who would be most likely to purchase them, uh, given what customers prioritize, whether that's functionality, image of the car, uh, any other attributes of the car. And then from there, kind of uh, assuming a percentage of that specific uh, willing, to, willing to buy this type of car, able to purchase this type of car market, uh, and then divide that by the average le lifetime of a car is how I would go about sizing that market. I love that. So I've got some data that's actually a little simpler, but the way that you thought through it activated me to kind of give this to you. Um, it's, it's data about BMW, which is the closest data that we've got. Um, and it's segmented into two types. You mentioned that there are people who replace the cars, um, but we actually do have some new entrants into the luxury car market as well. So we actually segmented those two pieces out. Um, one of them is, one of the pieces of data is that BMW imported and sold about 20,000 cars in this market over the past 10 years. Uh, the second is that the existing owners replace their car. Um, what would you think a good replacement rate to use would be here? I think once every 10 years is about standard. Yeah, that's actually exactly what I've got. So I think that's about right. Uh, and then, of course, there will be some that will do a lease or, you know, something that's every three years. Leasing isn't an option in this market, so it makes sense that it would be a little bit longer. Um, and then finally, there are new buyers every year that are entering the market. And so after going through the exercise that you just walked through, we identified that there would be 1,600 new buyers each year in the luxury car market. Okay, great. Uh, so I think you gave me three major data points there and I wanna run through them to make sure that I got everything. So okay. you mentioned uh, if we're looking at BMW as a, a competitive benchmark here, I'm assuming that we can use BMW's numbers um, to calculate our market size or potentially the whole market size uh, since they're the only player. So they imported and sold 20,000 cars in the last 10 years in Pakistan. Uh, the Average cars replaced once every 10 years, and there are approximately 1,600 new buyers every year. Is that correct? That is correct. Mm -hmm. And we're looking at the market size for cars at the specific moment, or uh, in general, uh, maybe how many cars we're expected to, to have in the, in the country every year. What's the specific time frame there? Um, tell, tell me what you think. Yeah, so I think um, since we can look at a, a yearly basis, so... Um, if we're looking at 20,000 cars already in the industry, we can take that and just estimate how many of those buyers, assuming that it's one owner per car, will replace their car every 10 years. So what I, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to take that 20,000 and divide that by 10 to get the total number of car owners that will be replacing it every given year. So we have that 20,000 cars divided by a 10-year uh, lifespan, and that's going to uh, give us a number. And then the second thing I'm going to do after that is I'm going to take that number and add it to the number of new buyers that we have per year, and that should get us to um, the annual number of cars that BMW sells or expects to sell every year. From there, we can kind of be able to gauge where, uh, how much of that market size we can capture, but I'm getting ahead of myself, so I want to jump back to the first step that I uh, had wanted to calculate. So we have that 20,000 uh, 20, cars uh, market size that are currently being owned. So we have 20,000 divided by 10. Uh, for the 10 years, so that's going to be uh, 2,000 cars that are replaced every year. 
And then we're gonna add that to the 1,600 new cars that are purchased every year. And that's going to get us to a total of 3,600 cars uh, purchased per year of BMW. Uh, I, this, this number is a little small. Um, 3,600 is not a lot of cars, but we're just taking a look at the, mar the stagnant market as is right now. Uh, so is this the number of new buyers every year projected to grow as the years go on? Um, and maybe alternatively, uh, if the market's going to stay stagnant, what are the differences between BMW's car offering and our car offering and how those compare with customer preferences? Just to get an idea of how we'd be able to compete with them in this market. Abby, I want you to look at the data that we already have and see if you can extrapolate it to answer that question. Yeah, so you mentioned that the GDP of Pakistan is growing at 6%. So I'm going to assume that the, the luxury car market is going to grow at least that fast. I think you should okay double check you? that with the numbers that we already have. Mm. The 6%? The, um, with the number that we've already sold. Mm. Or not we, sorry, that BMW has already sold. Mm. Uh, I'm not sure I'm understanding your question. So yeah. let me let me back up. A so little bit. so instead of looking at the high level market, we we can really just dial down into whether we think the market is growing based on whether we think that new buyers entering the market are entering at the same rate that they have entered over the last ten years, and you have the data to do that. Got it. Got it. Okay. So we know that twenty thousand cars have been imported and sold in the last ten years. Um, so I'm going to take an average of that to see how many cars have been sold every year. So uh, if we do an average here, that's just gonna be the 20,000 cars divided by the 10 years. So we have the 2,000 cars per year on average that are sold every year um, by BMW. Now, if we add that to the, the, or if we compare that to the new buyers of 1,600, uh, that's a 400, 400 car deficit. Um, but I just wanna clarify. So this new buyers is that, um, are we, that's the only, um, so in any, any given year, the car sales will be a total of the, the existing car owners that will be replacing their cars as well as the new buyers, correct? That's right. Great. Okay. So um, if we're adding that 1,600 to the 20,000, um, we have 20,000 owners right now. If we grow by 1,600 owners every year, we can get that growth rate. Um, is that okay with you? Seems reasonable. Mm -hmm. Okay, sounds good. So calculating a growth rate, that's going to be that 20,000 existing owners plus the 1,600 new owners every year divided by the 20,000. That should give us a yearly growth, assuming that it's not going to change from year to year. And it would change, obviously, because we're going to have this baseline growing. But I'm, I'm just curious as to whether, you know, you kind of said, is it growing or not? I'm, I think you can answer your own question here. Mm. Okay, sounds good. So we'll do the, the, the 20,000 plus the 1,600. So that's going to be 21,600 divided by 20,000. Uh, if we run the numbers here, that's going to be about 216 divided by 200. Uh, so let me just write it out here. I mean, if I divide that in two, that's going to be 108 over 100, which is going to be about 1.08. So the market's growing at about 8% in this next year. It's growing at 8% on the total. Mm -hmm. And then what if we thought about it another way? So how many cars were sold, would you estimate, you know, around 10 years ago per year? Yeah, so if we're assuming maybe that... Um, Every year there's 1,600 new buyers. What I could do is take that 20,000 cars and subtract 10 times 1,600, and that should get us to the market size 10 years ago. Is that what you're looking for? Kind of, yeah. And I'm just saying, just 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 ballpark it for me. Do you think that the so so here's what we've identified, right? It's growing. We have new buyers entering the market, and we have the old buyers that are likely to replace. This is good. Um, but what I'm curious about is if we think the rate of growth is going to continue to grow if we think that's going to be declining over time. Um, in the next 10 years, you're saying? Yeah, let's, we can call it in the next 10 years or even just in the next couple of years. Yeah, I mean, very qualitatively, I think this market will definitely grow. Of course, we just calculated that it's going to grow 8% in the next year. Um, 
I guess if we if we look retroactively, if we look at the growth rate, the change in the growth rate from the last 10 years, maybe looking forward, if I were to ballpark that, um, let's see. I'd say it's maybe around the same, uh, hasn't grown that much. Uh, I don't think that the market is really accelerating upward. Is that kind of aligning with the numbers that you have or um, do you want me to run any specific calculations to kind of get well, that number? We're, we're not going to need to calculate this in. I was really just asking for your interpretation. But what I'm noticing is that, you know, maybe on average, if, if we sold 2,000 cars per year over the last 10 years incrementally new to kind of get up to that 20,000, that wouldn't have been straight lined. We probably sold more in year five and maybe even more in year seven or eight. But it does seem like the number of new car buyers entering the market might be declining a bit. And then as we have that balance of luxury car replacements versus new cars, it seems like the importance is going to be on the replacements. Um, yeah, so no, I, 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 don't know that, I don't know that this will necessarily uh, change our numbers, but I do think that it's important to note that it doesn't seem like we're selling more new cars a year than we used to. It does right. Not I mean, like, if we're looking at the, the last 10 years, 20,000 cars, that's approximately 2,000 cars per year that we sold. Uh, even if it fluctuated within those those years, uh, as a general trend line, the market's still growing. We still have new buyers, but the marginal rate of growth is slowing. There we uh, go. It's decreasing. Mm. Okay. Yeah, so, oh. Good. So again, I, I don't need you to factor that into the rest of the calculation, but I just wanted to kind of get a quick read on what you thought about what was going on there. What should we do next? Yeah, sorry, I was fiddling with Mike. Um, I, now that we've kind of looked at the market and we know that the market is growing uh, a little bit slower than it was before, I think I wanna take a look at our biggest competitor, BMW. Uh, and I'd like to understand what their capabilities are, what their competitive advantage is, how they're tailing to, tailoring to customers to see if there's a potential entry point available for us here. Okay, go ahead, ask me for data. Yep. Uh, so what's their, I mean, their, their current market share is 100%. Mm -hmm. um, what kinds of products do they sell or what kinds of cars? Just sedans. Just sedans. And just to clarify, that's the, the five passenger Correct. standard cars. Okay. So that sounds like uh, it's appealing to customers, a, a desire for functionality. Uh, so it's very interesting. Have we done any customer surveys or do we know anything about what customers prefer in their cars in the Pakistan market? What are you trying to get to? What are you, what will that lead you to? What would be the next question after that one? After that one, mm -hmm. uh, then I'd want to know how do our cars differ from BMW's cars? Uh, can we tailor to a different customer segment? Can we tailor to different customer preferences? Um, and within the customer base in Pakistan, what's the breakdown as far as preferences go um, oh. in terms of percentages of customers that want either more? We don't know what the market share will be for sure in Pakistan until we enter, but we have entered other markets. Vietnam is a simpler is a similar use case for us. Um, on average, in these other markets, including Vietnam, we gained 25% market share within the first year of those markets. That's pretty significant. I like that number. Okay. So we can use, I guess, our past experience entering different geographical markets as a proxy for maybe how much we expect to grow in Pakistan or how much share we expect to get. So if we know that uh, year of entry that we have 20,000 or 2,000 replace or yeah replacement cars purchased per year plus that additional 1,600 um, of new buyers. That means that total market size for the year is going to be 3,600 cars per year. Um, and if we take 25% of that, that should get us to um, approximately what we estimate to be able to sell uh, in that first year of entry. Is that uh, does that sound good with you? Sure. So 3,600 cars multiplied by 25% is just 3,600 divided by four. So that's going to be 900 cars we expect to sell. Uh, and to really get an idea of how much this, uh, this means for our business, I'd like to take a look at either the price that we can sell at and then uh, factoring in any variable costs and investment costs, um, tying that back to uh, the original point of being able to break even. So what's the price that we'd be able to sell these cars? Awesome. At? We don't know exactly, but we do know what BMW charges. They charge 80,000 US dollars per car on average. 80,000 per car. 
Okay, great. So now I'm going to be able to calculate total revenue in the first year, and I'm going to also be able to calculate total revenue in the second year, since we're looking at a two-year time period. Uh, so if we calculate revenue in year one, that's 900 cars multiplied by $80,000 of revenue per car. So that's going to be $72 million of revenue in year one. I'm actually going to draw out a table here just so my, all my numbers are organized. So we have year one, year two, revenue, or all this is forecasted. We're just using BMW's numbers. So the revenue in year one is going to be 72 million. And if we look at year two, we're still gonna sell at that BMW price, that $80,000 per car, but we're gonna build on uh, the market size from year one because we're, we have an additional uh, 1,600 buyers per year. So in year two, let's see, year one, year two, we're going to have uh, 25%. I think, we can, I think we can make a simplifying assumption, Abby, that it's the same. Like probably none of those new buyers yet will be buying additionally. So I think it's fair to assume that there will be just another 1600 Right. So it'll be uh, instead of 3,600 cars in the market, it'll be 3,600 plus 1,600, right? Um, no, because it would be the because that that what I'm saying is that that 1,600 now is incrementally added to the. 2000 the 20,000 that um but but there's probably no cars that are new that new 1600 haven't come up for a replacement yet so we can just assume okay. that it will be another 3600 3, in the second year okay mm -hmm. okay sounds good that makes the math easier then so our revenue from year one to year two will stay the same and now i'd like to understand either what our profit margins are or what our cost breakdown looks like do you have okay. that information what cost would you like specifically yeah, I'd like to know fixed and variable costs. Um, and if we tie this back to the break-even point, uh, I'd like to know on the cost side, both the investment cost and any fixed and variable operational costs. Okay. And then on the revenue side, we already have that. So I'd like to take a look at costs. Great. So I've uh, thankfully got this a little bit simplified. I do have our initial investment cost. It's going to be $9 million to open this market for us. In addition, I have the per car costs. Three of them are actually variable and one is fixed. Can you tell me just really quickly what you think the key variable costs would be here? Yeah, variable costs, of course, include any um, shipping. So if we're not going to manufacture within Pakistan, uh, we need to ship the cars. We also need to take into consideration any, um, any product manufacturing raw materials, um, any commission that we're paying to any uh, sales and marketing teams, uh, and then any uh, direct labor that we're hiring to uh, kind of sell these cars to the end consumer in Pakistan. Okay. So um, we got we got two of those. I'll give you those first. Uh, the manufacturing okay. costs per car are $20,000. These are all in US dollars. Uh, the transportation is 80% of the manufacturing cost. Okay. So we also have a third cost, um, which is customs and taxes. Um, mm. And so when we're importing directly, we're going to have the challenge of doing that. Um, that's going to be 95% of the manufacturing plus the transportation costs. And then I mentioned okay. that there was one fixed cost as well. Um, and we just prorated this based on the number of cars that we already expected. Um, it's about 10% of all of the above costs. So of the manufacturing plus transportation plus customs and um, taxes. Okay, let's run some numbers. Okay. Great. So you mentioned that manufacturing costs per car, these are all per car costs. So manufacturing is 20,000. Transportation is going to be 80% of 20,000. So that's going to be 16,000. Customs and taxes are going to be 95% of the 16,000 plus the 20,000. So that's going to be 95% of 36,000. So 95% of 36,000. I'm actually going to take 5% of 36,000 and subtract it out from 36,000, make our, make our lives easier. So 5% um, of 36,000. Uh, is going to be half of 10%. So 10% of 36,000 is um, 3,600. 10% um, of 36,000 uh, is going to be 3,600. If we have that, that's going to be 1,800. So that's going to give us the 5%. And then if we subtract the 1,800 from the 36,000, that should get us to 34,200. So that'll be our customs and taxes um, costs per car.
And then you Sounds said good. the fixed cost, the fixed cost per car is going to be 10% of all three of these costs combined. So if we combined, if we combine the 20,000, the 16,000 and the 34,200, that's going to get us to 36,000 plus 34,200, which is 70,200. And if we take 10% of that, that's going to be 7,020 per car fixed cost. Um, we're going to add up all of these costs to get the total per car costs. And then from there, we can solve a break even point. Sounds so good. Um, we have the 20,000, 20,000, 16,000. We have 34,200, uh, which we already had calculated to be uh, 70,200 total. And then we're going to add that to the 7020 of that 10%. So that's going to get us total cost per car of 77,220. You can round that to 77,000. Mm. Oh, perfect. $77,000. Um, and then just to, to clarify the prompt again, so you're looking at break even point in two years. Um, are we looking at feasibility or are we looking at how many units we need to sell in order to break even? We're looking at feasibility, right? Can we break even in two years? Okay, sounds good. Uh, let's see here. So if we run a calculation, um, in year one, we make $72 million of revenue. In year two, we make $72 million again. So total revenue over the two years is going to be that $144 million. And then if we look at costs, what I'm thinking here is we can take the profit over the two years uh, cumulatively and then just divide it into the investment cost. I like that process better. To see if we can make that happen. So we know that the revenue over the year one and year two period is going to be two times 72. So as I said, that's 144 million. If we have costs of $77,000 per car, uh, and we know that we're selling a total of 3,600 multiplied by two cars over the two years, that's going to be $77,000 of cost per car multiplied by 7,200 cars that we're selling over the two year period. So that should get us to our total costs. And if I just run those numbers really quickly, you're sure that we're selling 7,200 cars? Is that what you just said? Mm. Yes, you mentioned that we're selling 3,600 cars. Oh, sorry, that's total market size, my there we bad. Go. So we're actually selling 25% of that, so 900 cars, and we're selling 1,800 over the two-year period. My mistake. So we have that 1,800 cars multiplied by $77,000 per car, which should get us to total costs over the two-year period. So I'm gonna do 77,000 multiplied by 1,800. I just want to make sure my numbers are right here. So that gets me to 137.6 million. Okay. That's total costs. Now, if we subtract that out from revenue, we get profit. So profit is going to be, let's see, if we round that to 138 million, that's going to be a difference of 6 million. So 6 plus 0.4, 6.4 million dollars of profit. And if we divide that into the uh, upfront investment of $9 million, we'll get the break even. Now, which oh, one we'll was get... higher, revenues or costs? So revenues was higher per my calculation. What was revenues? Um, it was $144 million. You sure? So I guess just cycling back, you mentioned that we're selling um, 900 cars at $80,000 a car. So I calculated that to be $72 million of revenue. Okay. And then we had, I was doing the revenue over the two years. Okay. So I added those together and I got $144 million. Great. Mm -hmm. Is that okay with you? Sounds good. Mm. Okay. And then we subtracted out the cost of 137.6 million to get profit of 6.4 million. And now that we have that break even, or I'm sorry, that investment of $9 million, we can take that 9 million and divide that by 6.4. Is it okay if I round the 6.4 to six? So what is that gonna tell you? Even? I just wanna make sure you know what you're doing here. Mm. Yeah. When so we do that I, number, what does that tell us? So let's say that we get um, a number less than two I think that means that we'll we'll be able to break even in less than two years. Are you sure? Um, what what is the six? What what is the? And I think it's actually five point four. 
um, right, 138.6 and the 144. Oh, I have 137.6. Oh, okay, what is the um, what is the number represent? What does that represent? That that five point four or six point four? What does that represent? So the hundred and forty four million. So that's going to be total revenue over the two years. The one hundred and thirty eight point mm-hmm. six is going to be total costs incurred for the cars that we're selling over the two year period, and then that profit number of I think you said seven point four. Mm-hmm. Uh, five point four, excuse me. Um, that's going to be total profit over the two-year period. Okay. So um, how do we then, calculate if we're breaking even or not? When do we break even? So we break even when profit is equal to zero. Okay. Uh, so, and so what do we have to have to, for profit to be equal to zero? How much? How much profit in those two years would we have to get? Yeah, that's a good question. So if we have that investment of nine million dollars, we have. Uh, if we amortize that over two years, that's going to be about $4.5 million um, of investment cost. Mm-hmm. And so you're doing it in the Very aggregate good. for the two years. So how much do we have to have in profit? $9 million, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Do we, do we have it? dollars per year. Uh, good point. We don't have that. So we are about uh, $3.6 million short. Uh, profit is still positive, but we... Um, we are still short of our goal. So I think we have a couple options here, uh, a little bit of a fork in the road. One, we can take this loss and we can say, okay, we're still making a profit. Um, these numbers you know, are maybe likely to change. We could do some more due diligence, uh, but for now assume that it's it's, prof- it's a good decision to enter this market. Or we could look at alternatives um, such as establishing our own di- distribution channels like that dealership we were mentioning in the beginning. Uh, or we could look at potentially a, a different market to enter or a joint venture uh, to make sure that we can accelerate our sales growth in this specific Pakistan market. Um, okay. Let me ask you um, specifically, if we could adjust the inputs that we just calculated to get us to a break even in two years, which ones would you think are the most likely to adjust? Yeah, so cost optimization is a lot easier than trying to bolster sales. So. I'd want to take a look at our cost breakdown. Uh, we have pretty high costs um, and uh, at $77,000 per car. So I'd like to better understand the breakdown uh, as and compare that to competitors. Uh, so we have, you know, that uh, manufacturing and transportation costs per car. I'd like to understand what BMW is, is also doing uh, within the cost segment. Sounds good. Anything else? Yeah, I think there's there's other ways we could do this as well. Uh, we could look at potentially raising prices, although uh, my hypothesis is that that doesn't sound like a great idea considering that the market's already so small and we're, uh, we're competing with one major player already established there. We could also look at increasing our sales and marketing campaign on the revenue side. Uh, we could look at selling uh, complementary products. Uh, I know that for people that may not want to buy new cars when they replace new cars, uh, they could we could potentially give them spare car parts um, or offer some kind of repair services that would bring in revenue for us while also um, enabling customers to form a, a, a relationship with us uh, down the line in case they don't want to buy a whole new luxury car later on. Um, yeah. And then, like I mentioned before, we could also look into that joint venture strategy, maybe even, uh, it doesn't look like acquisition is likely, but it would depend on on the um, cash we have on hand and uh, anything within that vein as well could be potentially good things to look at. Okay. Awesome. Well, at this point, we're ready for a final answer. What do you think we should do? Enter, don't enter, make changes to our plan. Um, What's your final recommendation? One of the challenges candidates face when trying to prep for case interviews is using old cases that are from case books that everyone has been using since 1995. If you're interested in up-to-date cases with real-time solutions that include level one, level two, and level three answers, and over 500 of them, you can check it out at managementconsulted.com. In addition, for a free taster, we have every month a free case of the month. So make sure that you log on, grab that, and get started today. Yeah, so this is a a very interesting case. So thank you so much for this one. Um, My final recommendation is uh, that we should enter this market. Um, And I have a few reasons for that. 
first of all, uh, this market is still growing. Um, even though it's growing a little bit slower than it was before, that doesn't mean that this will be a permanent growth rate. Um, so I think there's still a lot of, of upward potential here, especially since we have only one other competitor competing with us. I think the second reason is that we can capture 25% market share in the first year, which is pretty significant. Um, and without even taking into consideration how that would grow, uh, we'd be able through that 25% market share to get profits of about uh, 5.4 million um, in those two years. Now I know that this falls short of our original uh, goal. And I know that we're a little bit short of breaking even in that two year time period. Uh, but I think that if we're looking uh, at this from a very high level qualitative perspective, uh, there's a lot of room for this market to continue accelerating upward. Um, and I think even if we break in within three years, which is the current trajectory that we're, we're heading towards, uh, it could still be a very profitable investment, albeit just a little bit uh, delayed on the break even return. Um, of course, some next steps to consider is definitely a risky market. So I uh, would want to do a little bit more due diligence into the numbers, make sure that we really can assume that we can capture that 25% of the market and that our forecasts are, uh, are properly verified um, in order to mitigate any risks of potential failure or not being able to capture uh, the market that we had originally hoped. Okay, great. Good job, Abby. You can relax. Well Thank you. done. <laughs> How did that feel for you? Um, honestly, I was a little bit flustered. It wasn't my best performance ever, but I think, um, if I just maybe taken like two seconds and stepped back, it would have been a little bit better on the numbers. I, I think that's a really, some really great feedback. I'm going to go through and give you some insights as we went through the case. We ended up taking almost 40 minutes to do it. It may have felt harder okay. than you were initially anticipating because when I got through the initial piece, I felt like you were going to do a really good job. So I actually decided to modify it, push a little bit deeper into it and make it more of a second round case because I wanted you to get Thank a lot you. out of it as we were going through it. And so um, what I did was I was, I, I added in some bonus stuff. Um, and, uh, you okay. know, as the interviewer, I was really pushing you, you probably felt this, but I was pushing you to read out the insights before you did the math. I was pushing you to give me a, a general direction before kind of waiting until the end. And that's one of the big differences in a second round case with BCG that I'm looking for versus a first round is that I'm looking for you to call it before you need to call it, right? You, you call it, then you verify. You call it, then you verify. And so I'm going to go through each section of the case and give you detailed feedback. You can feel free to ask questions as we're going through this. And then also at the end, if you have any questions, I'm happy to, to listen to those as well. After that, we'll open it up to the floor for people to ask either you questions or me questions. So first of all, let me just go through the timing and the structure of the case. As I mentioned, I didn't split out what was happening inside the math because that piece was a little bit too kind of jumbled together, right? It's like gathering data and then doing the calculations. Um, and so I just did the beginning and the ending and the creative question. So uh, at the beginning of the case, your introduction was about three and a half minutes. It was really good. Uh, the only thing that I would tweak in the introductory piece is that you started out with a negative statement. You said, I'm not really a car person, which <laughs> deflated. It, I think what you're trying to do is set my expectations that you might say something a little silly at some point inside the case, but you did not demonstrate that you weren't a car person as we went through it. You were totally with it. And I think you really need to push yourself to say something positive. Like, like, um, you know, this sounds like a problem that I have never thought about before, but I have familiarity with cars, right? Something that kind of is like giving me confidence instead of breaking my confidence down. What I'm imagining when you say I'm not a car person is that I put you in front of a client at BMW and you say that and they fall apart, right? They're like, mm. why did we staff this kid who knows nothing about cars on a car case? So just beginning with that posturing is a very important part at the beginning. However, I thought your recap was super fluid, very story-ended. I, I felt like overall, you did a great job of demonstrating that you had proficiency with the business problem at the beginning of the case. And so um, that would be really my only key takeaway. When you asked the question, which was included in that time, about that three and a half minutes, it was kind of not really a question. You were just like musing out loud, I think, right? You know, there's only, there's, um, you kind of said, you know, it's interesting that only BMW is in the market. And it's also interesting that they have no, um, like, 
you know, local sales. And I think that that would be a really big opportunity. And I loved that you said that, but you never asked me a question. So that's kind of why I asked you a question. And then we got off onto this okay. little, almost like mini tangent at the beginning. So just make sure at the beginning that you're wording, when you come up with insights like that, I love it. Just ask me the question afterwards, right? Are we open to having a different kind of distribution than BMW has? Would we be willing to set up local dealerships or a partner partnership with a local dealership, would we uh, be open to considering local manufacturing, right? So just so there's like, you know, give me the musing, but then add that detail in. Okay. Um, I, overall, though, I thought that was good. Your structure was a little funky for a BCG case. This felt like a McKinsey issue tree. Um, I don't know if you've read or watched some of Victor Chang's stuff, but it felt like straight out of Victor Chang. And it did not okay. feel like this was meant to solve this problem. It took you um, three and a half minutes to build it. Oh, wow. Quietly. Okay. And then it took you almost um, three minutes, about two minutes and 50 seconds to report it back out. And so mm-hmm. that was way too long for a case like this. And I actually have a podcast called The Issue Tree is Dead for virtual interviews. In parentheses, is for virtual interviews. And I think you did an awesome job of demonstrating why. Because um, you actually were like, and in that branch, there's a baby branch. And I, like, you should see what I wrote down on my paper. I, I could not follow it after a point, and I just gave up. Um, okay. yeah, that's obviously not how you want to engage your interviewer there. So you need to simplify your structure and you need to make it just data oriented. I'm going to need this data. Mm-hmm. I need to know what the size of the market is, how many German luxury cars there are. I need to know what the percentages of those luxury cars that are um, that would be sold by BMW and by us. In order to figure out the number by us, I'm going to go to the second category, customers, right? What kind mm-hmm. of models of cars do customers want and what is our breakdown? Like, give me the data only in a BCG case okay. that you're then going to go collect, make it your data playbook and give me one level of category and then one level of data. You gave me a nine, eight or nine actual category structure all baked together, which is why I think it took you okay. so long and why we, after the first question, never used it again. Right. Mm. So um, and in BCG, one of the things I'm going to test for you in a final round is like, was your structure the playbook that you used inside the case? So, Mm. again, in a first round, I would have been like, ah, she wasn't wrong. Like a lot of those things are good ideas. You know, she's adorable. And the second round, I'm like, (laughs) look, I have to choose whether I want her on my project or not. I need somebody who's really linear here. So I, I really want to make sure that you understand the difference between those and just go ahead and incorporate that in your first round performance. Okay. So any is questions that about that structuring piece? Mm-hmm. Yes. So um, is that only a BCG thing? So how does that, I know McKinsey loves the, the issue tree. What about Bain? So McKinsey doesn't love the issue tree in virtual environments because they can't see anything that's happening. So I would mm. say that you still would have been well served to do that same kind of structure for Bain and for McKinsey, because I would know in each one of those situations, the analysis that you would do would answer my question. Um, And so you're welcome to make it a two minute version of it. If you come up with that linear structure in a minute, yeah, add some other contextual detail, right? Add me a category of local distribution, like set that up and tell me exactly what you would need. But I'm just really pointing out that you had like concept, concept, and in some situations, concept at the third layer. And all of those three, we're never going to get to no matter what kind of MVP case it is. Um, We're going to get to data inside categories. Those are the only two places that we're going to get to inside the case. So I think that that structure would work well in all of those situations. It's one of those big changes that we have to make in a virtual environment. And um, the the second thing, uh, I don't know that you could have done this with the complexity of your structure in the first place, but you have to number everything out. Number one category is, and you did that well. And then when you went into the first one, you said number one is the industry. Number two is the product. Number three is the customer. And then it went haywire. You were like, and then here's like seven things inside here. Or maybe they were only three and you were just explaining them. I actually don't know when you were moving on from point one to point two to point three. And so you want to keep that like incredible numbering going. You might even want to number them inside your structure to cue you to do that when you're in this verbal Mm. environment. Okay. Okay. Um, good. So everything was there. You needed about half of it and it needed to be all numerical. Those are my key takeaways from the structure. Okay. Uh, then when you went into the math, I thought you did an excellent job of gathering. I thought your speed and your fluency with math was incredibly proficient. I loved that you stated assumptions as you went through and you caught them, right? I'm going to assume that this reflects one owner per year, not multiple drivers, right? There were things that you did um, when you went through it. Uh, There were a couple of times when you tried to do math 
before you needed to. And that's really where I just wanted to reorient that math for a second round to be like, okay, what am I looking at here, right? Let, let me make sure that I'm setting this up correctly. I felt like there was a lack of structure inside your math that you could have wowed me with. It, I knew it was there because I watched you deliver on it, but I wasn't hearing it beforehand. So you weren't kind of building my confidence. And then I think you would have gone through a more linear um, process. I actually think you would have maybe caught a shortcut, which in this case is to just do the margin per car and then divide that into the break even mm. and figure that figure out the number of years. Um, and so you were doing actually like more complex calculations because you were trying to just calculate, calculate, calculate. And so in a second round performance, uh, I, I actually still really thought you did a good job, but I, it wasn't great. And I, I would hate for you to walk away and be just right on the border, right? You have to, you, you're so close. You have to get this offer when it comes Thank up. Thank you. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm so the way that you do that is just tell me like, okay, what I'm going to need is the market size. And what you did there is you told me, here's the data that I would need before you asked for it. What you did for all the other ones, you were like, well, what about the price? Instead of saying, okay, now we need to figure out the margin per car. And right, and that's where putting that into your structure is going to help you. It'll give that exact playbook that you can just go back and follow again. Um, but that's where we were losing it. And that's why the math in total took us 30 minutes. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, actually, 20, sorry, 28 and a half minutes, 28 and a half total minutes. And that probably could have taken us 12, I think, by the time I was asking some of the sideline questions. Um, it was it was really three parts of math, which I would give 15 minutes for, but I think you could have taken about 12 um, to do it. And so I, anyhow, I think that that could have been ha about half the time. And then we could have spent a lot more of our time talking about, for me, what are the ways that I really test my top candidates, which is the next piece. Okay. Um, overall, um, I, I just, again, I just really want to compliment you on the speed and the fluency of the math. I felt like you understood it. I felt like you did a, a really great job across the board there. But I, I did feel like there was room for improvement. The way that you practice it is just go back through it again now that you have all the data. And then go back after you do the math and rewrite your structure, right? What are the things inside my structure that I should have thought about gathering? Um, and that will, going backwards inside a case like that helps bring clarity for the next time you do a market entry like this. Great. And then the final thing was your creative question that I asked, right? What what numbers would we flex? That came across like just a verbal download, right? Just a waterfall of verbalness. I don't want that. So I need. I think you were feeling like there was time pressure, but I still want to see some control from you there. And so um, what you would do instead, you, what, I, what I wrote down was um, um, expect to break even, what the alternatives are, different markets to enter your JV. Actually, I think that was maybe for your um, closing. I didn't even write down what you said in the creative because I couldn't really follow it super clearly. And so that's, again, okay. in a virtual environment, you might have been writing things down, but it just came across as like, well, we could do this or we could do that or we could do this. And instead of being like, okay, let me look at the volume at the data that we have again, right? What we have is the price point. We also have the transportation costs. We have the import costs. And then we have the taxes. Finally, we have this, you know, overall SGNA. Look, we could bring the SGNA down, but that's not going to make a major difference. We need to look at the big cost categories. So could we lower price? Sure. Uh, do we want to? Maybe not. And then maybe talk with me more detailed about what we would do there. Maybe we should sell SUVs, right? Um, differentiate ourselves through a different product. Maybe we're going to have similar other numbers, maybe they won't be percentages, but we're going to get a higher price point in the first place. And so like, right. And so you kind of could probe into those once you've laid out the structure again. Is that clear? So what I would have wanted for you there is to basically. I, I was rambling there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so control yourself by writing down the categories of creative first. So let me just, and just say it out loud. I'm going to write down my categories. So category one is price. Category two is um, transportation costs. Category three is customs. Category four is manufacturing. And I'm going to think about ways that we could adjust each one of them and then prioritize which one makes the most sense and then go back through. For pricing, we could change the product mix, maybe selling SUVs or higher luxury uh, price items. Yeah. So then you kind of go through each one of them and you anchor those like that. But write it down and write down your categories first. 
Then uh, in your final, oh, go, go ahead. Did you have a question there? I was going to say, like, I, I usually end up, like, writing it out, like, just writing four buckets, like, I think would take, I would take a look at. But if I'm crunching on time, is it worth my time to say, okay, category one is this, category two is this, or should I just Always say, to write the categories. To then go into detail underneath the categories isn't as necessary. But, yeah, if I would have just known what the categories were, I could have followed everything else you said more clearly. And I would have been like, oh, she's structured right? Which is really, in a BCG case, I'm just going to rate you at the end. Are you structured? Are you proficient at solving the problem? Um, are you a good communicator? And I'll do that in just a second for you. The final step was the closing. And um, I, I actually find it kind of odd that you were like, enter the market. Um, because we, we, I told you the mission was that we were supposed to break even in two years. And then you were like, enter the market. And so um, your closing delivery was really good. I just found the actual choice of what you recommended to be a little bit unclear. Um, so I liked the recap piece. I liked the recommendation piece, but that part I would have tweaked. I loved your next steps. Um, and so I just felt like the whole thing flowed out of actually a different recommendation. So it felt like it was almost doubling back on each other a little bit. Um, so I think the delivery was fine. I think the structure of it was there. Again, I would just really reflect on going back to the mission of the case and making sure that you've responded to it. Um, that about 80% of the cases, the answer is going to be yes. But that 20% that are no, I don't want you to just force it into a yes um, where right, the data right. doesn't lead us there. I mean, I think where my argument was going to go there was even though we don't break even in two years, we'll break even in three and there's still profit to be made here. So I think maybe we could um, still enter, even though it doesn't meet our criteria. It just we just have to wait maybe six months yeah. longer. Yeah, yeah. And I, I wouldn't have dinged you for it. And I still liked you. So um, but uh, but all that I was saying is that um, I think you would have wanted to have some more verification that we we could have gotten that and maybe a better creative structure beforehand. Like, I think that the way that we're going to do this is by, um, you know, batch transporting them. So we're going to do like one transport a month. Gosh, if we just get those costs down by like $5,000 per car, then we break even easily in the two years, right? So like, I was looking for something tying the actual performance to the metrics that we were looking for. Um, and so, um, good. Yeah, so then my final score, so basically BCG scores you on the three core categories, right? Were you structured? Um, was it, um, how was the problem solving? And then what was the communication like? And so I would have given you like, um, out of, if, if we called it a four point score with one being the highest and um, four being the lowest, I would have given you twos on the structure and on the um, problem solving, which is really good. That would have gotten you already into the final round, but it's not it's not perfect, right? It's not like what, what somebody at BCG would do currently. So that's just where I think your biggest opportunity is, is really like making the structure super clear and making sure that you do that insight before data piece. And then um, the communication, you were a one. It was fantastic across the board. And so, um, so again, congratulations. I thought that was a really good case and I hope that you found that feedback valuable. Thank you. I appreciate that. I also appreciate that you made it a little bit more difficult um, so that I could get some some good pressure, some fire under myself to, to be better. Um, so the structure and problem solving, you'd give me a two. It wouldn't be enough to pass me on the final, but it would be enough to get me to the final. It would it would just it would just leave you in the in the yellow zone. Right. There's a green, a yellow and a red zone. You wouldn't have been in the red zone. You wouldn't have been in the definite nose but you wouldn't have been in the green zone. And so you might've gotten an offer and you might not have gotten an offer. And that is just the worst place to be, in my opinion. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you don't want to be in the definite nose either, but, but if you're going to be so close, I just think you have a couple of very fixable things um, that, that are uh, going to be, you know, that, that you just need one or two good practice partners to really push you on those to say like, I actually couldn't fault your structure. Just go back and do it again. Or I, or like in the math, like, let's just go back and do it a second time and see if I, I you know, time, I timed you the first time it was 11 minutes. Like, let's see if we can make it faster a second time. Right. And just kind of like run through so you can kind of um, rejigger that process a little bit. Got it. Okay. And that last point where I didn't, I wasn't able to conceptualize the dividing the, like just comparing the profit to the break even. Yeah. Uh, now that I'm looking at it, I'm like, how did I end up doing that? Uh, but if I'd made that mistake in 
like if I was just so bogged down in the math and I was looking at it and like it was just crazy that, um, that was why you got like a, a two instead of a one or a, okay. you know a, 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 like the kind of second highest number um for that for the um for for that number for BCG because that I wanted to see that the insight piece was really strong and so I felt like you were so fluid with the numbers but I wouldn't want you to bring me a number and be like here you go I would want you to be yeah. like break even or not break even, right? I really wanted right, you to go right. all the way to, to think about how to answer that. Um, and so, okay, okay. so you can pause a little bit when you get that moment, like on the insights, it's not like McKinsey where you can say like, can I take 20 seconds to plan the whole thing? But you can certainly say, let me just look at it for a second. Like you had moments to do that inside the case and that might help as well. Okay, good to know. Thanks so much for listening to this case with Abby Jin, focused on a BCG style interview. We had so much fun putting it together and would love to do more in the near future. However, we're just in need of volunteers. So if you're interested in doing a live case with us and you've done at least 10 cases out loud, you're a candidate. We'd love to hear from you and we would love to hear about why you're interested in being on a future Zoom call and or strategy simplified. In addition, if you loved this podcast, please share it with friends, coworkers, and fellow students or consulting aspirants. In addition, we are really excited to have you for a future episode of Strategy Simplified. So please make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Thanks again for joining. We're excited to see you on a future episode of Strategy Simplified.